For it is a very sad thing when the church or a church walks away from Jesus. On this uh, Reformation Sunday, uh, that was a thing that, uh, that, that had happened. Martin Luther found himself uh, uh, part of a church, serving uh, as, a, as a monk uh, in a church that had walked away from the free gift of grace in the gospel. And when he nailed his 95 theses to the, to the door of that uh, church, he, he wasn't expecting to create the Lutheran church. He wasn't trying to start his own thing to, do his, to, to, to worship God in his own way. He was hoping that he could bring others to see that the church had erred and that it had, it had walked away from some fundamental truths of the scriptures. And of course, as Anglicans, we kind of, uh, are connected to historically. We, we follow on from uh, that moment, uh, the, the, the nailing of the 95 Theses to the door, uh, and a little bit more history unfolds. And, uh, you know, uh, some years later, we have uh, the Anglican Church formed, or the Church of England, as it was known. And we have documents that uh, we've written that... Uh, tell us what we believe and what we figured out from scriptures about the fact that churches can go wrong. If you uh, ever get yourself a copy of a prayer book and flick right to the back, there's these things called the, the Articles of Religion, which are uh, the way that Anglicans have kind of established what they believe about who God is and, the, and, and the bio, what the Bible says and, and the authority of the Scriptures first and foremost, even over the Articles. And in those, it talks about churches going wrong. Because... As a, as a Protestant church, we knew the church could go wrong. We, we, we experienced it in our formation. And Article 19 says, The visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men in which the pure word of God is preached. The sacraments are be duly ministered according to Christ's ordinance in all those things that of necessity are requisite to the same. As the church of Jerusalem, Alexandria and Antioch have heard, See, revelate, uh, have erred, so also the Church of Rome hath erred, not only in their living and manner of ceremonies, but also in matters of faith. This is the article that justifies our church's existence because the church of the day had gone wrong. And it, it was saying this isn't the first time this has happened. It's not like the church was all good until Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door uh, and that was the first time there was ever error. Note it says, as the church of Jerusalem, Alexandria and Antioch have erred. And we have this in the scriptures, right? We have churches getting it wrong. You read the book of Revelation and, and there's these letters to churches at the start of the book and Jesus is very uh, 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 firm with churches that have got it wrong and walked away from him. There is a time and a place for us to call out people, churches and organisations as wrong and there is a time and a place for us to live with our differences. It all comes down to that uh, issue we talked about last week about 
disputable matters and working out uh, whether something is in that first primary uh, category of uh, a, a deep matter of, of faith and the, the, the clear teaching of scripture or whether it is something that is disputable. And Paul's examples for the church in Rome, which is obviously having some issues, was around what to eat and what days to hold as special. We're called as Christians not to find our unity in these secondary things, but in Jesus and in the gospel and in the authority of God's word as the rule for our life. And last week we talked a little bit about whether, uh, how we determine whether or not something is a disputable matter and we talked about uh, once we figured that out how, do we, how we live with someone who we disagree with. We talked about living with them without contempt, without judgement, by seeking peace, by being focused on other people. And as we saw last week and as now we see again this week, Romans 15 continues a little in, the, in this vein of living together, built on the unity of the gospel, but living together when we disagree about other things that are secondary. Romans 15 verses 1 and 2. You can have a look on page 921 if you like, or the screens, maybe. No, just... Just 921. <laughs> uh, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. Now this is rather astounding instructions. Because we live in a world that is the opposite of this. We live in a world that is obsessed with individual rights. A world that is obsessed with the strong counselling the weak for their failings. Uh, one of the interesting things about online church is that every, very uh, deep in my heart somewhere, I occasionally am afraid that some Twitterati person is going to watch one of my sermons, uh, cut out the, the bits where I um, say good things and kind of weave together a joke I made or something and uh, all of a sudden uh, this you know, army chaplain in Lindisfarne's getting cancelled for something he said. Like That's a real thing that could happen uh, at, at any moment, the mob could come after you for not thinking or saying the right thing or behaving in a way that is acceptable. That's the world we live in and sadly Christians can uh, operate like this too. We want to cancel people who don't think like us, who uh, are, are, are ungodly or uh, who we, uh, we think, you know, well if they're going to cancel me, I'm going to cancel you. But Paul says, as we live in a world where we disagree, we're not to be like this. When it comes to disputable matters, we're not to go around counselling one another or insisting on our way of doing things. We're to go above and beyond to help those who may not fully understand, who may be weaker in faith, who may not understand the faith they have in Christ. We're to do whatever we can to help them so that they will not stumble. And we're to do whatever we can for their good to help them grow. 
Why? What does he say in verses 3 and 4? For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. We're to live this other person focused, bearing with the weakness of others, seeking to build others up kind of life, because this is the life Jesus lived and this is the life that the scriptures have been pointing us to as they've pointed us to Christ. Well, that sounds a bit hard, doesn't it? Being focused on the other, bearing with the failings of the weak. Let me give an example of, uh, of, of this kind of thing, right? A, a, a disputable matter in the Christian church uh, is the issue of drinking alcohol. Right? There's a whole bunch of opinions about um, what you should do. Now, my opinion is that it's pretty hard to make the case that you shouldn't drink alcohol. It, 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 it's just a part of daily life in the, in the New Testament. That Jesus, I'm pretty sure, given that he uses alcohol when he's sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper, drank it at least once uh, and probably actually was drinking it many times. His first ever miracle was to give people more alcohol for their party. Uh, now, I can also understand there's things in scriptures about the encouragement not to drunkenness and the weakness of human flesh and uh, I can also understand how people end up in a different uh, position. But of course the issue of alcohol uh, becomes real when you're hanging out with your brother and sister in Christ who believes deep in their heart of hearts that drinking alcohol is sinful. Perhaps they've also experienced some of the effects of poor use of alcohol in their life. And what are we called to do as Christians? Tease them with our whiskey? No, we're actually called to bear with them, to put the, put the alcohol away. But likewise, if they think they're in the strong position and we're the weak one drinking ourselves to hell, they're called to bear with us. There's, there's some sort of uh, 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 life together as Christians where if we feel like we're in the stronger position uh, on a disputable matter, we're to bear with the weakness of the other. And that's difficult because it involves putting to death our desire to drink beer or whatever it might be for the sake of the other. How can we live our lives like this? How can we live our lives constantly seeking the good of others, constantly seeking to please our neighbours and to build them up and, and never do what I want? And you can't. You won't ever be able to do that. And that's why Paul now turns to prayer as he's instructed us to live this other person-centred life. Verses 5 and 6, he says, you need God's help. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement 
give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you're going to try and do this by yourself, you're going to fail. But if you go to God, who gives endurance and encouragement, uh, and who can change your mind to seek the good of the other because you're working together to glorify God... then you're going to have the ability to live sacrificial, other-person-focused, gospel-centred, God-glorifying lives of love. When we let ourselves be distracted by disputable matters, the church suffers. God is not glorified. When we focus on the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, on loving our neighbours as ourselves and of seeking their good over our own, we live in unity. Unity based on the gospel. And God is glorified as we worship him with one voice. God is not glorified through a church divided over secondary matters. On Thursday, I went to the uh, Combined Churches of Clarence prayer night. Uh, And, man, it was powerful. It was one of the most powerful things I've been to in a long time. And as we sat there and as we stood and we sang together from different churches, and as we prayed, uh, it was funny, you know... uh, I led us in a, in a series of small group prayers that were very ordered and structured and Anglican. And then I was followed by uh, Pastor Matt Sharples from Abundant Life Church down in Lauderdale. And he had us all standing up and just shouting our prayers out together. And I'm going, wow, this is full on. Uh, and like, man, I love these panties and the, their passion. And, and then I was talking to him afterwards. He said, oh, was that okay? Because I'd like dialed it down to about a 5 out of 10 and I'm going man I was at like 25 out of 10 Um, like that was crazy Um, but it was awesome like how you pray together in a group is a disputable matter but God was glorified as we put those disagreements to one side and decided you know what with one voice we're going to glorify God together We're going to pray for each other. We're not about building our own kingdoms. This is about the kingdom of God in Clarence. God is glorified when we put to death our own wants, desires and preferences and seek unity in the gospel. And that's important because one of the great dangers of this part of Romans is that we put it before the first 11 chapters. Because God, God is not glorified over a divided church, but nor is he glorified over a church united on nothing. That pretends to dis- agree to disagree on who Jesus is, on the fundamentals. True God-glorifying unity comes through gospel-centred, Jesus-centred worship. 
the logic of Romans is here's your theology, chapters 1 through 11. Now let me apply it to your lives, chapters 12 through 16. And you can't make Paul here in chapters 14 and 15 who's applying uh, gospel realities to life where we might disagree on disputable matters. You can't make that the fundamental principle that undoes all of what has come before. You can't make the application of Paul's call for unity on the fundamentals mean we reject his theology of uh, we are all sinners in need of a saviour. And it's not just Romans that reminds us of this truth. Paul here shows us in chapter 15, doesn't he, that this is actually the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture is that no matter who we are, Jew or Gentile, we are all going to be brought together in this deep unity built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Verses 7 to 12. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. And then he goes and he quotes from a number of different Old Testament passages about how uh, Jew and Gentile will come together and praise God and glorify him. Paul is showing them here that no matter who they are, no matter what kind of background they have, no matter what kind of cultural differences they might have, they can find unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has saved both Jew and Gentile from their sins through faith. He has made them alive through their faith in Jesus Christ. No matter who they are, no matter what their background, Jesus is their king. And though they're going to bring cultural differences as Jewish people or, or, or Gentile Greek people, they can work it out, though it may be difficult, because Jesus is their king. One of the wonderful things about our faith is that it is culturally agnostic. Sometimes we think of the Christian faith as being a Western faith, but it's not a Western faith. It's a faith that speaks to all nations about the reality of the Lordship of Christ. And it's a faith that, is, that enables that reality to be made real in all sorts of different cultural ways. One of the best things about hearing from our mission partners, and if you have the chance one day to actually go and visit them when this COVID thing uh, goes away and we can get on planes again, is you, you realise, yeah, actually, the, the gospel isn't about sitting in rows or whatever it might be that we think of Christianity as about because we're Western people who like order and structure and whatever. It, the, the, the gospel is about Jesus Christ as King. The way our Cambodian brothers and sisters do life and church and faith, it feels weird when I go there and I worship with them. And I've made lots of 
cultural mistakes. Like it was 40 degrees and I wore shorts to church. I wasn't supposed to do that apparently. They all forgave me because it's a disputable matter. They even let me preach in shorts. And they all laughed at me. You are allowed to take your shoes off though, which is good when it's 40 degrees. Having your shoes on is a no-no in church. Like, if, if, if they turned up, they'd probably take their shoes off and we'd be like, whoa, dude, what are you doing? It's just different. And it doesn't matter whether your shoes are on or off in church. What matters is, is Jesus king? They're making sense of the lordship of Christ as, a, as they understand their culture. They're, they're, they're putting the disputable matters of how you wear, what, what length of pant you wear and what, you, what kind of footwear you wear. These things are not clear in the scriptures. The lordship of Christ is clear. We make sense of Jesus in our weird Tasmanian ways. They make sense of Jesus in their beautiful Cambodian ways. And so Paul concludes this section with a prayer for all, no matter their background, no matter their disputable ideas. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul concludes this section about living together with our differences with this sort of prayer of of, of what he hopes the church will look like. A church that has joy and peace despite its differences and divisions because their lives are built on Jesus. And a church with joy and peace that is filled with hope through God's spirit because it has a deep knowledge and understanding of who he is and it's experiencing the blessings of life in community. As we grow and live together in our community here, let's pray too that we will do so for God's glory. Let's pray that we will get our foundation right, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's pray that when we agree to disagree, we'll be able to do that well on matters that are disputable. That we'll be able to go forward learning to accept each other, to forge a, a deep unity, not based on personal preferences, not even based on uh, core, deeply held theological convictions that we know, even though we have a strong opinion, uh, they're secondary. Let's go forward accepting one another as Christ accepts us Let's go forward together with a deep unity built on his saving grace. And let's allow differences on disputable matters and seek to build one another up. May God strengthen us by his spirit and fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him. Amen.